0: Welcome back to the pod, everybody. Thanks for joining me. If I sound a little husky right now, it's because I'm straight off the plane from a weekend in Vegas at the World Series of Poker. I'm just not going to tell you how that went. So the location independent summer is beginning, and there's more posts in the DC every week. Stuff like, hey, who's in Barcelona right now? Anybody in the Balkans? And Ian and myself will be co-locating in Europe very soon. So it's cool to see a little return to normalcy. I'm hoping to do a lot of pods with Ian sitting in the same room this summer in front of a whiteboard. Cannot wait. Now, most of you have already booked your summer travel plans to Europe, but I know an unprecedented number of us in this community are heading to Bangkok and beyond in the fall and the winter this year. And I kind of went back and forth a little bit about whether we should publish this. This is part of an episode that we would send to DCBK attendees. Part of it's technical, like how to transfer from the airport and stuff and what to wear and that kind of stuff. But part of it is just about Thailand in general and traveling there, slow matting there, uh, the experience of living there. And so many of us have been shut out of this part of the world for so long that I thought it might be interesting to publish that conversation here today, hopefully to inspire you in your future Travel. So, I'm going to introduce today's guest in just a minute. I want to share a couple of business ideas just very, very quickly at the top. If you're not into travel, do a little business right here at the top. Two ideas, two business idea donations. The first is I feel like there's a price point out in the marketplace for short vanity business books. We'll call them vanity business books for agency owners or similar marketing services business owners that have a very narrow expertise that would like to create a short book around that, that they can put on Amazon, they can have an audio book, they can hand out paper copies to their friends when they go to conferences. I feel like, look, if someone came to me and said, we're going to create a business short and you're going to be part of the business shorts community and it'll be $10,000, $15,000 and we're going to manage your Amazon listing and you're going to have this beautiful book that gets created quickly, that gets your expertise into the market and into your hands of your ideal clients. The thing is for a lot of marketing services and business services, you'd only really need like a couple handfuls of readers to make your R- ROI on that. So you don't even need to like make money on Amazon to get through that sales process. Like for, I've already like pitched this in person to a lot of business owners and like, yeah, I would definitely pay that for the opportunity to have a book that I can hand out to people. And I think, you know, it does a little good for the world too because so much business expertise gets delayed and watered down into these 60,000 word books five years later or they just never make it to market or they get bled out in some tweets and i just do think there's an opportunity for business shorts some very syrupy very dense business expertise that you could count on think about that you listen to podcasts like this maybe you'd subscribe to the business shorts community or you know whatever brand you come up with for this and to see what the latest and greatest marketing expertise is because this stuff does get outdated uh fast or a lot of these so- sorts of uh expertises that agencies are selling so i think that's uh, one business idea. And the other thing, so many of us are getting back in person with our teams, at conferences, at events. And I think a lot of our relationships are living off of the pre-COVID momentum, right? If you think about your business partnerships, your key executives, your key clients, a lot of those relationships for a lot of us were made pre-COVID. And I don't know, I think a lot of us, even though I'm a remote first person, I am an enormous believer in the power of in-person to forge relationships, to evolve them. You remember one of the themes on the show with Ian and myself is COVID, the very fact of COVID that forced us, guys that didn't need to be together and has lots of hobbies and stuff, it forced us to live together. And that led to this incredible creative epoch. And we started Dynamite Jobs in earnest because we had to sit with each other every single day and work through our problems and build a stronger relationship. And that's why we put it on our calendar to, to co-locate in Barcelona. But I do think there's this is a big question of, well, how do we do this? You see debates on Twitter of you know more traditional tech people going back and forth about the value of an office or whatever. I think there's a third way where facilitators, event hosts, business coaches, you go to bricks and clicks model where it's like, Who's coming? What are we learning about? Is there a psychologist there? Where are we living? What's going to be the ratio to social versus co working? What are the key projects we're going to work on, whether it's company on sites or company retreats or all hands on deck meetups somewhere? I do think that there's a big services business opportunity for these sorts of uh, hybrid team building educational solutions. So two business ideas for those of you not interested in travel this week. If you've got a business idea donation that you'd like me to read out on this show, just email me dan at tropicalmba.com. So to do this uh, travel episode about Thailand, we invited two people who have a ton of time in that neck of the woods. First, Kyla Gardner, regular on the Tropical MBA podcast to talk about all things books and authoring. She has written Many amazing thrillers under her pen name Kyla Sharp and Jesse Schoberg, who's a CEO and founder of Drop and Blog. And we started this conversation. I just asked them how they describe the incredible city of Bangkok in just a few words.
1: So I lived in Thailand and various places in Thailand off and on for three or four years pre-pandemic. Bangkok was always my favorite place. I kept coming back there. And I think I'm just more of a city person. I really loved like how alive and chaotic it was. So a few words to describe it. I would say, first of all, dystopian. I feel like I'm in a (laughs) like futuristic young adult novel when I'm there, like in the best way. Like there's kind of a sky city and then a street city and the sky city is like When you take the train, which is really nice and clean, and there's all these walkways that are above the street level and it connects right to the malls where there's like Gucci and Prada. But then when you go on the street level, it's like these little street carts with like food and fruit and like mangy dogs and like the street, like the sidewalks are all uneven and there's like electrical cables swinging at you. And it's just like these very two different cities right on top of each other. And I love that contrast.
0: It's like a Blade Runner. I've always thought, There's these young people who read anime, comics and stuff, and they dream of the future and how Asia is going to deliver on that promise. And they go to Tokyo and they end up disappointed because there's just a bunch of really well, like, quiet streets with nice fashion shops and cafes. But then you go to Bangkok (laughs) and you're like, this is what we were dreaming of. Like, we are being delivered with, like, uh, yeah, on the street with the steam coming up from various cauldrons of delicious food and or broken sewer pipes and then You've got this whole other world of luxury and ease up in the sky. It's a really nice way to put it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I really agree with you that uh, it's the, I'm more of the city person as well. I mean, that contrast is what's so special. And it's not just the contrast of having the things. I like that the people do like all the things too. I mean, obviously there's like different classes of people that, that are entertaining different things. But it's pretty cool that you can eat these like amazing like pork skewers on the street for like 30 cents and then you can go get the most amazing VIP movie experience that you've ever had in your life where they bring out like a popcorn tasting menu (laughs) and then serve you beer in the theater in like a bed. It's just like completely insane, right? Or then they'll be like, At the Chanel store and there'll be like people lined up to get in and spend 100x the actual cost of these products and then they'll walk out with the product and then stop at the same pork skewer stand and buy the 30 cent meat, and be like yeah this is a really good spot (laughs) you know you got to get it and it's it's really special that way it's kind of the best of that not too clean and perfect like Tokyo and or Singapore but still all the way developed top level tier one city you can get access to goods, everything you want. And then I'll say the things that make it hard is that what's not a super walkable city, as you mentioned with the sidewalks sometimes and this kind of stuff, you got to learn how to live in Bangkok. you got to learn how to find your area. you got, at first it can be very overwhelming and wherever you happen to rent an Airbnb might not be a, the easiest spot to get through and get around. So it takes a bit of uh, practice to kind of learn how to find your version of Bangkok. And I feel like sometimes every time I go back, I find a slightly new version and there's so many to explore, like any great city like New York or LA or Tokyo as well. There's a new version of the city waiting for you every time that you come there and stay in a little different area. So it's pretty special that way.
0: Is there something that ultimately frustrated you about living in, in Bangkok, Kyla, that people might look out for or plan for or anticipate?
1: So I think another good word for Thailand in general is absurd. It's hard to describe if you haven't been to certain parts of Asia, but there's kind of this mentality of like, if something like goes wrong or isn't working, you just throw your hands up and you're like, there's nothing that can be done. Absolutely nothing. But it's like the easiest solution in the world. And if you just build a society on that and keep iterating, there's just so much stuff that doesn't make any sense. And on my good days, like I find these little surprises and strange happenings delightful. But when you're like having a bad day and you're like, I just need to get this like paperwork done. But there's so many levels of absurdity and bureaucracy that I can't do it. You want to go crazy a bit.
2: (laughs) For sure. For sure. I mean, this is any developing country, right? But I mean, I feel like there's two things I always lean to on those is at least it's cheap or don't ask. Like th- that kind of solves both things. And then when you actually have things that you need to get done, usually the good thing about placing like that you can usually throw money at the problem. Usually there's some guy who's going to be willing to wait in line at that office for you or these kind of things that theoretically, if you know, like the right runner people or whatever, there's always somebody hustling that wants to help you accomplish this normally very bureaucratic task. so that's helpful. Again, comes with time, though.
0: So somebody traveling to Thailand for the first time wanted to extend their stay for two or three or four weeks or even longer, and they wanted to stay in the city, they identified as city people, what well, might be a great way to do that? What neighborhood would you stay in? What's a version of that month that you could sell to us or paint a picture for us of?
2: I'd say the short code for me is always to rent a place that's within a 10-minute walk of any stop on the Sukhumi BTS train because most of the stuff that you'll do when you're getting started there happens in a neighborhood or in a mall or in a short walk of one of the other BTS stations. So it's a good way to, while you're still finding your place, you won't get stuck in traffic as much, which a lot of people will have trouble with or these kind of things. So you can kind of, that's the easiest short code to... Being having access to that Sukhumvit and, and not pulling your hair out because you found a restaurant you want to go to and you ended up in an Uber for two hours because you and a grab because it's like it
0: started raining and you didn't really know yeah
2: yeah but sometimes you'll be wanting to go to a restaurant or meet some friends in a place that's not off of the Sukhumvit and, and you'll need to take a car and we'll be happy to be at dinner time and we'll be checking the the grab and it says you know. 15 minutes till the car gets here and everything's gridlocked. And then God knows how long for you to actually get to the destination. So the hack is you take Grab Bike, which is they throw you on the back of a scooter and that solves all traffic problems. So if you're brave enough, that's the hack to really cut through all traffic woes if you aren't taking the... Like a two block walk could save you
0: 15 minutes on a cab ride because the taxi will pick you up, right? To get the fare and then spend the extra 15 minutes... Kyla, what neighborhood would you stay in if it was your first time? What would you recommend a good place to stay if it's your first stay?
1: I definitely agree with Jesse. Anywhere off Sukhumvit is good. I've stayed outside of like Prompong, Tonglor, Ekamai.
2: Those are Sukhumvit stops, just to clarify.
1: Yeah, so like those four are right in a row. And there's tons of malls that come off the BTS, like we mentioned. And those are really good spots, just they have like electronic stores, they have really amazing food courts. If you just need something, it can be really convenient just to have those within walking distance as well.
0: How international is it? Are you you surrounded by a bunch of Thai people just speaking Thai? Or what's been your experience staying in these sort of Sukhumvit stop neighborhoods?
2: I'd say it's definitely still very Thai, but international enough that there are a bunch of people from other countries and most of the people that work at any of the shops in any of these main areas are going to speak a functional level of English that will allow you to function quite well. I mean, I think most of the people that spend a lot of time there don't know very much Thai. The other thing I'll mention is that a lot of Westerners get turned off by this concept of malls and being like a destination. And it's totally different in Thailand. These aren't just your run-of-the-mill BS malls that have things that you don't care about. We're talking about massive restaurants in the country. We're talking about co-working spaces. The food courts, as you mentioned, almost every one of those malls that will be on the main stops of the Sukhumvit will have these amazing food courts, usually in the the basement level, but could be in different levels. And it's all basically the best Thai local food for two, three dollars, the same price you'd get on the street. It's basically street stall vendors that like opened up in these uh, stalls in the mall. So it's you can actually get a really express experience of Thai food very easily. and, And Thai people and foreigners alike will be eating at these places all the time because the food is just top and really accessible. And yeah, these malls basically just have everything you need, which is done in a really accessible and different way than we're used to in the West, I guess.
1: Yeah. And in those areas, it really caters as well to just like really good restaurants. There's like bookstores, food trucks, sky bars, really big condo buildings. You can definitely like there's an oversupply of condo buildings. You can find really good Airbnbs that are like super luxury, recently built in the last two years for reasonable prices around that area as well.
0: It's just so easy to have a a relatively bougie experience in Bangkok, right? Like you rent this wonderful condo with a gym and a pool and a view. And then you go to these amazing coffee shops down the street and you go to a co-working space that's populated by people all around the world. And in the evening, you go to a restaurant with the same deal and it's easy to meet people and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's a good option. But a lot of people are basically thinking about getting out of Bangkok and doing other things, which I know you guys have done a lot of. The top contenders right now for DCBKK attendees are Chiang Mai in the north. And there's a bunch of beaches that you can basically take taxis from Bangkok to go to. So they have a different level of convenience like Huahin, Pattaya, and some smaller beach towns I'm not personally familiar with. And then there's the beach towns that you can fly to like Koh Phangan, Koh Samui. So I'm wondering if you guys might rank these at least from your experience as to what you would do if you were going to DCBKK. where would you want to extend your stay in Thailand
2: I think the start might be uh if if you want to be around other DCers or if you want to just be like experiencing Thailand right because while there could be random DCers in any of these places there definitely are hot spots Chiang Mai is always number one although people are getting more (laughs) beach friendly lately it feels like I mean over the last a couple of years, a lot of people th- that did stay in, in Thailand ended up kind of moving to the beaches because they were a little more open. So that's kind of created some more path. The trail is getting a little bit more worn in the south, we'll say, which is where the islands are. But I think, yeah, Chiang Mai, number one, that's the easy, where everyone goes, very popular. But for the beaches, it seems like Koh Phangan is usually the first long stay place. But a lot of people in our community have been going to Phuket and also staying in Rawai in the southern tip of Phuket as well. My thought is, if it's
0: you and your partner's first time to Thailand, then maybe you're not that interested in hanging out with digital nomads for three straight weeks or whatever. Like, you want to go to Koh Samui and stay at Four Seasons in Koh Samui or whatever. Just really experience that island.
2: Yeah, they have probably the best villas in Thailand in Koh Samui, I feel like is probably the more curated selection there. There's a lot of nice stuff in Phuket as well if you want more of that bubble, just get a really nice villa with your partner or your group. But Kosamui is like a little bit more upper end. I feel like it's not the best weather that time of year, but I sort of feel like that's the default. Like I want to have
0: like a banger of a beach vacation and I want it to be high end, like that's sort of the obvious answer or the most typical answer. Yeah. But then Kopenhagen, like you said, is more of the, I want to do the beachy nomad, like chill scene. And Copenhagen, famous for its full moon parties, would be the place to go do that. And then Chiang Mai would be the place where, like, I don't really know what to do. I just want to experience Thailand and be around a bunch of other people in a similar situation. It feels like Chiang Mai is, like, the easy call for that. What's your take on all of that, Kyla?
1: Yeah, definitely agree. It's kind of like, do you want to... Go inside yourself and implement all the amazing things you just learned at DCBKK without anyone inviting you to things 24 hours a day? <laughs> or do you want to go to stuff 24 hours a day? So I feel like if I were to do it this year, like maybe I'd take the first week or like few, four or five days after DCBKK and go to an island and decompress because I just need to like sleep after DCBKK for like two days. And then maybe I'd migrate up to Chiang Mai and then have a few weeks with people there because there is still. A lot of things going on, like two or three weeks after DCBKK, a lot of people hang around. Monday! Monday.
3: What's faster than a top fuel dragster down the quarter mile? Your business when you use dynamite jobs recruiting to supercharge your cash flow engine. Strap in, gas up, and let the profits flow. If your hiring is slow or falling off track, supercharge your strategy with a zero to 30 minute phone call with our legends of the hard sell. They'll dazzle you with high pressure, career killing, sales tactics, urgency, persistence, auto dealership desperation. And then tell me you couldn't use a little more of these in your pursuit of business excellence, operations managers in Omaha, marketing mavens in Marbella, coding wizards in Cape Town. We're taking this race global. And thanks to the support of listeners like you, it's not just a hard driving in E and close in at the wheel anymore. We've got a whole team at your service this Monday. 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 Let's outrun your competition with an insanely profitable hire from Dynamite Jobs. Head on over to dynamitejobs.com and click on Remote Recruiting.
0: We've got this question asked in a lot of different ways. But basically, how do I get the most out of this conference? I mean, it's intimidating, right? All these people have these different ideas and these like lures and histories. And now it's not even going to be a week. We're going to go to all these different places. If you haven't experienced it before, what might they consider to maximize their experience?
1: I've been thinking about this and I don't know whether to advise just accept that you really just have to go really hard and you're not going to sleep and you're going to be exhausted, but it's going to be worth it. Or like try and take some power naps. Like maybe don't go to one like session or one dinner and like just (laughs) calm yourself and take a breather because it is just so stimulating, so full on, so much fun. You meet so many people that I have trouble being like, I'm not going to go to this thing because what if it's like the one person I'm going to sit next to at that dinner is like going to be my new dcvkk best friend. So it's just like, I guess you have to know yourself. Yeah. It's
2: hard out there. It's hard out
0: there. Yeah. It is an interesting thing, Carla, because everybody does say all these like self-care tips and the whole time I'm like, I don't think anybody does any of those things.
2: <laughs> Nobody's going back and meditating for an hour while there's this great party happening. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I'll say a couple things. First of all, as far as actually like the content itself, the first year that I went, I just had like 25 pages of notes. Like every single session, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then of course the next year I found those set of notes and I hadn't done any of them because afterward I was just so exhausted that I forgot about it all. So then what I started doing, I just make one note on my notes app in my phone for every conference. And I just put only things that I think I can actually action. So at the end of the conference, I'll maybe only have like six bullet points. And then I force myself after in those few days at the beach, when you're decompressing away from everyone, as you mentioned, to go through that list and actually move those into like our company project management system or like actually talk through the team. Are we going to implement any of this stuff or am I just throwing it out and then it's going to sit in the back of my brain until it comes up again? And so that made like actually a way to action these things and curate them so that, that they are possible to actually action those things that you learn about. So that's the first thing that worked really well for me. I've been doing that for a few years now. And then the next thing I'll say is stay at the conference hotel. And when you don't stay at the conference hotel, Besides, what you'll hear a lot of people talk about is the, oh, all this serendipitous, you meet someone in the lobby or you meet them in the hotel bar or you see them in the elevator or whatever. This is all very true. But then back to the recharging, take a break situation. If you're not at the hotel, you can't take a break. And so what I love about staying at the hotel is when you start feeling like you need a little bit of recharge, you can just slip back up to the room for 20 minutes and just like stare at the ceiling and just let your body regenerate a little bit and then jump down to the next thing where if you're staying next door, you can't do that. I mean, we just had this last week. There was a DCX New York City here in New York and we went to that event and we already have a place because we're here for a month and we didn't stay at the hotel and it was over in Queens and we're in Manhattan. And it was like yeah, big long days of stuff. When there was an hour and a half break between the end of the session and dinner time, I didn't have time to go home. So it was like, okay, I guess we'll just have some beers and keep rolling into it. And it made it a lot tougher. So those are my two main tips. I really like that. Certainly this year with the rates we're
0: experiencing in Thailand, there's absolutely no excuse not to do that. The vast majority of attendees will do so. And it makes an enormous difference for both of those reasons. I'm glad you pointed that out.
2: Also, it's a really nice hotel. So it's a very comfy place to stay.
0: 100%.
1: Definitely part of the Sky City.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Another thing about the conference I would say as well is if you're going to get together with people to go to dinner or like do a little, you know, bangkok thing, just don't go too far from the hotel. Like we were saying with the traffic, like... You could say, oh, we're just going to slip out for lunch. But then it's like you're gone for like five hours because (laughs) the place you chose, though it wasn't very far away, like it's just impossible to get to. And there's all this traffic and it's raining.
0: I think in events like this, people always overvalue cool and they undervalue logistics. Yeah. It's like, look, we've got tons of people meeting, like tons of serendipitous situations. You can sit at a sandwich shop with five people. That's cool. That are doing really interesting things. Versus like a 20 minute cab ride to go to the supposedly cool steak house that now you got to wait in line and now they don't have a table for you. And now you're at the other end of the table from the person, which brings me to another point, which is if there's more than six people there, don't sit down. Because you can't actually do what you went there to do, which is network with everybody and like share stories and get into pods with people who are doing similar things.
1: The torture of the (laughs) long table dinner. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I get the sense maybe I've perpetrated this over the years. There's a little bit of like cool kids anxiety. Like, I oh, I hear there's like people are going to go to a steakhouse. They're going to go to a cigar room. Everybody has friends. Like they're all going to be at a villa somewhere in Koh like. How can I get involved in all that? What's your take on that? And how can people get involved? And is any of that even real?
1: I don't think so. Yeah, it can be very intimidating, especially like a lot of people this year will not have seen each other maybe for three years. And like, it's so exciting. You're gonna see people running across the hallways, like hugging. But like my first year at DCBKK, I was volunteering, didn't even have a business yet. And just the number of people who were like willing to talk to me and were interested in what I was doing and didn't brush me off just because I was a volunteer or whatever. I was just like so amazed by that, how kind people were. So I feel like DCers are very open. And even if it's you're doing totally different businesses or you seem like totally different people, like just the connections, you never know who's going to be the person that you really connect with. And it might be you're not the type of people who are going to trade business cards and like work together. But you just have so much in common in terms of values or other things like that.
2: I do think that it is a little intimidating and there is a little bit of this. Like anytime you go anywhere where there's people that already know each other and you don't know any of the people, right? That's normal. But I do find the DC to be very inviting in that way. And people are used to meeting new people and open to meeting new people. That's kind of part of the ethos of being like nomadic and bootstrapped entrepreneurs, like people, they're just kind of used to being a little more open than normal, super clicky situations. Of course, people already know each other. They're going to be excited to talk to each other. But also people kind of as a lazy move, just talk to the people they know. And so they're excited if someone new comes up and starts chatting them up. And so a lot of people that I've met had said like that they were like someone that they'd heard on the pod before or something and that they're like afraid to go talk to them because they think that whatever. And it's like, no, that's great. That's a good like conversation starter and then you have something to talk about and maybe you can ask them to lunch or something like that. And people are usually open to meeting some new people and breaking that ice. And the other thing I'll say is that it's good to keep track of some of these new people that you meet and then reach out to them after the chaos, right? These are just like any relationships. They take time and this kind of stuff. So Maybe you have time to get a lunch with somebody. Maybe you don't. If you felt like you had an interesting conversation, reach out to them on the forum and then start a conversation or set up a personal Skype catch up and just see how they went with the event or something like that. I think that there's definitely ways that that you can kind of work through that cool kids concern mentality. I think the other thing is perhaps you cannot
0: rush these sorts of things. It is possible that you could meet somebody at at the conference and get invited to go hang out in the villa with them. I mean, that's not unreasonable at all, but more likely it's going to be something more casual where you have a few lunches together then you hear a group of people is going to Chiang Mai and you build trust over time. And I think that's one of the things that's unique about the community. That's a possibility. People do want to connect over time. I think I agree with you, Kyla, that people are very open to that. There's a genuineness in the community. And so it might take an event to get to that point where you feel like you have a bunch of different Uh, options that are outside of the conference for your next conference.
2: And another reason to stay longer and go to Chiang Mai for a month or two or three, because then there's a lot of people there and there's a lot more time. So then there's more dinners, there's more hangouts, there's people saying, hey, we're doing this tomorrow. Who wants to go with versus like, hey, I'm doing this in the next five minutes and 1400 people are going to be at this dinner that we're going to. It's like, There's a little more time for slow build relationships during the post time than the actual conference itself.
1: I was just going to say, having done conferences where I didn't do any of the stuff, Chiang Mai or the islands afterwards, and then one year going to Chiang Mai after, it was really... Like relieving to be able to tell people who maybe you just chat for five minutes in the hallway and you're like oh i really want to follow up on this but you don't see them again but you're like oh wait are you going to be in chiang mai and just knowing like okay we have a lunch in two weeks it's fine i don't need to like chase them down at the conference in the next two days
0: so we've advocated hard for chiang mai i mean if you're going to go to Kosumui, kobinyan like rent like book yourself into a kick-ass resort and have a great time if you're gonna to go to chiang mai just get an airbnb in the Niman area right or uh, Santi Tom, maybe.
2: Yeah, both of those are fine.
0: Do those, and then one question just on the Chiang Mai point specifically because it's easy. Chi- Everybody loves Chiang Mai because it's easy, right? You book your Airbnb, you show up, you can get a scooter if you want. Taxis are everywhere; like it's just simple. I did get a question though: Is Chiang Mai a good place to bring my family and my kids? So maybe some overall commentary from you guys about safety. And I know you both currently don't have families, but what would be your perspective on what you've seen from your friends and just general ideas around that?
2: I feel like Chiang Mai is probably one of the safest places I've ever been in my life. I feel like if I left my laptop at the coffee shop and it came back the next day, they'd say... Oh, sorry, you left your laptop here and and I I ran the software update for you. That's the kind of comforting feeling I I get there. So I don't think there's any security issues. Actually, I feel like most of our friends who live in Thailand that have kids live in Chiang Mai. It's a kid-friendly, easygoing sort of place. Uh, There's definitely lots of outdoor stuff for them to do. I think it's a good place to have kids. And actually, another one of our friends in the D.C. did a bunch of research on different schools around Southeast Asia and found that Chiang Mai had the best like quality international schools for the money kind of thing and that brought his kids there. So
1: yeah, I think safety definitely Thailand's like one of the safest places I've ever felt traveling and not from experience. But yeah, I've just seen a lot of families go up to Chiang Mai like the elephant nature park is a big thing to do that's kid friendly and adult friendly. I loved it. Yeah, it seems like there it's a bit more (laughs) like it's less full on than Bangkok. So I would say that's probably a better option than staying in Bangkok.
0: The one thing, if it is your first time going up to Chiang Mai, I think safety is a big theme that a lot of travelers feel in Thailand, and maybe that breaks down a little bit when we start to talk about road safety, which Thailand has not the best safety record on the roads. Not to say that this would necessarily affect families in Chiang Mai, but I think living with the family in Chiang Mai for certain amounts of time is potentially an amazing place. And We have both have lots of mutual friends who do that. Great schools, great activities, everything. But maybe if you're there for like a week... Like the logistics of moving the fam around everywhere could get a little frustrating because the traffic patterns and taxis aren't as available as in some other spots. You might want to get ahead of that by like maybe renting a driver for the week or something like that or getting like a limousine van that would be on call 24-7. Just like something to consider if you're going to bring your family to Chiang Mai. The idea that you could just book into this amazing beach resort on Phuket and the kids can just like roll out onto the beach and like that sounds a little simpler.
2: That said, Grab now has those fans are on Grab, and so are the Red Trucks. Yeah, the Red Trucks. <laughs> you got a big family, you get one of those, you're good to go. Guys, um, I want to ask you
0: for maybe some preparation, some things that you would do in advance. Are there books that you would read or movies you would watch to get into the mood? Or I feel like we're almost past the time we should talk about like how to pack your bags or whatever. <laughs> but might there be things that you would bring or prepare yourself mentally weeks or months in advance of a trip like this?
1: I've always loved reading about a place before I go. Loved reading about Thailand while in Thailand. One of my favorites is The Beach by Alex Garland, about some backpackers who go a bit crazy on an island in Thailand. Another one is My Pen Rai Means Never Mind by Carol Hollinger. And this is a memoir by a 1960s housewife of a diplomat. But even like 60 years later, it holds up pretty well of just like, I think she captures the absurdity of Thailand pretty well.
0: That's a good one. There's a lot of great Thailand books. I love that one too.
2: Yeah. Jesse, how about you? Any good books? I was going to say some of those same ones. There's a bunch of Thailand books. I've read a couple. I'm in the middle of The Glass Kingdom by Lawrence Osborne. Pretty good. Incredible. I started Bangkok 8 by John Burdett. That one didn't run as fast for me, but also good. You really get to feel some of the culture with some of these and they are set in slightly different times than now. And but yeah, it just gets you excited. The other one that I'll say that's just another prep tip, simple one from a lot of people that maybe don't travel as much is there's this great app called Time Shifter that helps you beat jet lag. And essentially you just put in your flights, you put in what time you normally go to bed, you put, do you consume caffeine? And it gives you this perfect schedule starting a few days ahead of time that you start tweaking your bedtime and your caffeine intakes and this kind of stuff. And then it tells you during the whole travel day exactly when you should be sleeping and when you should be awake and when you should be taking caffeine. And beating a 12-hour jet lag can be Brutal if you haven't done it before and even if you have and you do it wrong. I'm a big fan of that app It's helped my life jump around the world a lot easier
0: I guess We have this level of excitement uh, And anticipation and so many new people coming to thailand for the first time Are there any messages you'd like them to consider uh, before they get on that airplane?
2: I'll say that this is going to be a really awesome event. I mean the energy that I feel from we were down in Playa at the DCX uh, a month or two ago, and the excitement there building for the event was good. And here in New York at the DCX, there's this huge energy building. And I think it's just going to be a really fun kind of homecoming for the DC as a whole. So it, it's just going to be an exciting event with some really good energy, I think.
0: Just a little anecdote on that. I think we're early adopters, like our community, because like most, like this kind of five star. Like all sort of venue, like I imagine like Honda sales executives getting there hyped up about their annual quarterly goals or whatever. And we were talking to the staff at the Conrad and they're like, wait, you guys coming? Really? (laughs) Like that was kind of the thing. like this year. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, we're coming. (laughs) So I don't know if the Honda sales execs are coming this year, but we certainly are. Kyla, what about you? What's your, what's your parting thoughts and wisdom for someone to get on that plane for the first time?
1: Yeah. I mean. uh It's just, yeah, it's going to be super fun, especially I think some people mentioned they haven't been to Asia before or Thailand. And I really think like Bangkok's going to reflect that energy of just having so much going on. And especially after the two years we've all had, like it's just it's going to be a really exciting trip.
0: All right, guys, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us from all around the world, from Australia and New York, respectively. to Kyla Gardner from kylagardner.com and Jesse Schoberg of dropinblog.com. Just a tiny insight into some things uh, to think about when you're coming to Thailand. Personal views, of course. We'd love to hear from you if you've visited or lived there. Uh, This is the first of just a few episodes this summer we'll do in anticipation of that big fall and winter migration. And a lot of this is in response to questions we've been getting from you. So if you have them, I'd love to hear from you. Dan at tropicalmba.com. That's it. As always, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time when I hope my voice will have recovered.